Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, alongside me, Olga Nulich, and right. we've upgraded today, Olgs. We've discussed this. We started in Darwin. We progressed to my kitchen last week, and now we've made it to the studio, so uh, it feels like we're on the road to becoming an official show here. Yeah, this is... We're trying to create that consistent look. Uh, here in the ESPN studio, this is my second time in here, uh, it is very Disney-heavy, which we love, obviously. <laughs> um, it's a good save, by the way. Thank you. Um, but no, this is... I enjoy being in here. It feels it feels way more legitimate doing, doing it in here as opposed to your kitchen. Uh, yes, and you almost got us fired in the first 30 seconds of our first official podcast in the studio. So uh, we also love a plug. So you dropped a story this morning. Yes. Uh, big takeaways. So we're only two rounds in. I don't know how is how early is uh, too early to make any declarations here, but is there anything that, that stands out? Is there one take in particular? Because we want people to go read the article. Please, please go read it. Look, one thing that I was talking to an NBL exec about this past weekend was... Not to make like grandiose statements, right? I'm not. No one's trying to make hot take artists. No one, yeah. No one's trying to have hot takes. No one's trying to make sweeping statements. But you can see indicators across the board, right? And we saw those from the blitz to the first two rounds of the season. There are some indicators that are pretty obvious. And I think the one that is, I think, the most clear is Sydney and Perth. Outside of Adelaide, who we've yet to see in the NBL, and I think they could be a volatile team. We've we've kind of discussed them as a high risk, high reward sort of team. Um, Sydney and Perth are the clear like top tier of teams. They they recruited really well. I think their imports are quite solid. Um, their local talent is really good, and they just have continuity, which is really important, right? That that Perth team knows how to play together. Sydney's coming off a championship. They know what they're doing out there. There's like a defensive foundation there. So as far as the top two teams and the teams who, if we were to bet today, I think would be in the grand final against each other, it's probably Sydney and Perth. So Sydney 3-0, and and just looking at the numbers, this is uh, via spatialjam.com. So number one offense, number one defense. It's obviously a small sample size, but the defensive rating of 99.4, so it's giving up 99.4 points per 100 possessions, and then offensively a 117.9. So we were there, and we were able to sit next to each other, which was a treat, by the way. It's been a number of years, I feel like, since we've done that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but this, was, this, yeah. this game was... It was wild. Sydney the dominance Melbourne. from Sydney, and it was a packed John Kane Arena. And I've said this before. The interesting thing with Xavier Cooks is if you and you go through, you know, everyone does their player ratings, these types of things. I had Xavier Cooks two behind Bryce Cotton. I felt pretty comfortable about that. We saw what he was able to do in the Grand Final series last year when Jalen Adams went out with his hamstring. Interesting decision in the off season that I, you know, speaking of people, I don't think everyone agreed to stay and play in New Zealand rather than potentially go to Summer League. We've seen what that did for Jack White, but nonetheless, that was as dominant as you can be offensively, defensively from Xavier Cooks on Sunday. Defensively, we have we know what he can do as like an anchor for that team, um, but offensively, he was just doing stuff that we haven't really seen him do consistently. He's shooting it a lot better this season than we've seen in previous years. Um and then, and it's just his his confidence as like a, as a creator, someone who could put it on the floor. We obviously saw that dunk over Isaac Humphries, which <laughs> seemingly went around the world. Um, he's put this team on his back, and he's it's it's really weird. I'm not used to seeing Xavier Cooks as the, the leading scorer in the league right now. Um, he's super efficient. He's just doing everything, and he's he's the one guy in the league who is an obvious 
plug-and-play guy in the NBA. If an NBA team took him today, I'm pretty confident that he can make an impact in some way. Um, and and the fact that Sydney was able to retain him, I, I was around when Chris Pongras was making calls to to Xavier's agent, trying to lock him in for this season. He wouldn't stop calling Xavier's agent. And he managed to get it done, a multi-year deal. Um, so locking him in, locking DJ Vasilievich in as well, those were huge as far as like the foundation of this team. And then like I, I want to talk about Derek Walton Jr. a bit more because he is, I think, the best import recruit this year, the best new import. Um, Rachel Tucker is not going to be happy about me saying that. Um, but the fact that he's able to dominate a game by scoring the ball, by distributing, and then also just being a presence, which is what we saw in that Melbourne game, right? He was he just existed, and he just set the, the tone and the pace of that game. And Sydney and Sydney just dominated the, from all four quarters. I say three quarters because we saw some garbage minutes at the end of the fourth. But Derek Walton Jr., as much as as well as Xavier Cooks produced, Derek Walton Jr. was the, the tone setter all game. Yeah, they both scored five points, which is funny to think <laughs> about because if you were watching the game, the impact was completely different. And I, the thing that I did like is that Derek Walton Jr. only took seven shots. And so he's yeah. been the lead scorer the first couple of games and we've seen what he can do. We discussed on last week's podcast the idea of him as a facilitator or the differences between him and Jalen Adams. But then we saw this week that he is cool with taking a back seat and he is cool with just making sure that the offense continues to function. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, the Kings have proven for a couple of years now in terms of the imports they can bring in with the connections they have in their front office and with the coaching staff that you, you feel pretty comfortable about the guys that they bring in. I also thought Tim Suarez was pretty good, uh, particularly early in the game when it... And it was a game for a, a quarter. The first quarter was... You know, the first five minutes of this game was pretty scratchy, It was to competitive. Be it was back and forth. Uh, but Suarez's size, I think, was important and interesting. DJ Vasevich, after the game, discussed how difficult he is to score on in the paint in terms of his ability to uh, stay vertical, defend without fouling. So uh, he doesn't need to be a key player. They've been pretty open about the fact that it's not Jarrell Martin. It's not going to be close to Jarrell Martin. But uh, I thought it was promising to see his defense uh, on the interior. It's it's really weird. When we came into this season and we were discussing Sydney's imports, Derek Walton Jr. was a defensive-minded guy. <laughs> he has suddenly come out this season and he looks like, like a almost putting up similar numbers to what Jalen Adams was doing, right? He's looking like that sort of impact guy on the offensive end. We we're talking about Tim Suarez as a what like a catch and shoot guy, like st- sit like standing in a corner. The thing that the Sydney Kings have been most impressed with with him is his defense, is his ability to just be a brick wall in the paint. And so if he can be that, and then also spread the floor on the offensive end for for Zave Cooks to have more room to operate then this this team's in a really good space. So it's really early, and the sample size is probably too small to go full-scale panic. Yeah. But we know historically that the, the best defenses in the league in this team are the ones that, that really compete at the end of the season. So Melbourne last year was clearly the best defense, really from week one right through to when they were eliminated because they had problems on the offensive end. This year, and it's only two games, two rounds, but they're giving up 116 points per 100 possessions that's second worst in the league and then Brisbane has the third worst defense and on the other end those two teams are shooting more threes than anyone when it comes to three point rates so in terms of percentage of their field goal attempts they're shooting more threes than anyone so I don't know whether you want to go Melbourne 
or you want to go with Brisbane. But what's the biggest concern? Look, Melbourne, I have more concerns about because I, I imagine that there are changes that are going to be coming. Uh, it, it seems inevitable and it, se- it, would, it seems almost irresponsible for them not to make some sort of change there. Um, losing Aro Huckporty was huge. Not having Shea Illy to start this season is big as well. Like The biggest thing in that Sydney-Melbourne game was that they just didn't have a point guard, someone who can just settle the offense. Shea Illy, as, as much as that's putting a ton of pressure on him, that's what he can do. Um, and so that that's a concern. The Brisbane thing is, is a concern because of their schedule. And we've spoken about this. They are 0-3. Granted, it, it's a tough you know, first three games. It's all on the road. Sydney, Perth. Tassie and Tassie's back was against the wall too, so they were coming up with some fire. But they have... Who's next? They've got Sydney next, in Sydney, and then... Oh, no, what, what is their next schedule? Just pulling it up here. Good yeah, podcast I wrote about in, this. Good That's podcast in here. That's why we... Uh... I literally wrote about this last night. All I know is that they have a, a tough game next, and then they have Southeast Melbourne. Sydney at home. Sydney at home, and then they have Southeast Melbourne. Um, right after that and that's when Southeast Melbourne is probably going to have all their guys back probably going to we spoke with Simon Mitchell after the game against the Taipans they're probably going to have Trey Kell back they'll probably have Ryan Brockoff back for round three and then the following round they'll probably get Gary Brown back so they'll be healthy and the Bullets have like a, a real shot at going 0-5 to start this season and we've seen over the past few seasons how tough it is to make the playoffs the top six is their saviour the fact that the top six can be in a playing situation. But it's it's a tough start for them, for a team that needs to get some continuity. Um, and there is genuine pressure against their head coach. Well, I don't think you'll... So, yes, they will probably be in a decent position for the play-in tournament because based on recent seasons history, that sixth team is probably the tipping point of where you've got a team that's around 500, but most likely below 500. So even if they start 0-5, they can they can fix that, particularly when you consider that we, we think that Baines is going to continue to get better. We think Sobey's going to continue to get better. And they have a, probably an import decision that maybe they want to make as well moving forward. So Brisbane, I think the slow start was anticipated, but the idea of... Aaron Baines sitting out the last nine minutes of regulation and then the entirety of overtime. So he came on for two seconds, one defensive possession uh, with around 16 seconds left in regulation. But uh, I understand that he's getting his legs back. I understand that it's a process, but Tasmania, probably the smallest team in the league, it doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface why this would be the case. Now, unfortunately... To my surprise, as I watched back the press conference, no one asked. <laughs> no one asked why Aaron Baines was on the bench for the last quarter and overtime, which is staggering to me. That was the one question coming out of this game. But what do you read into that? It's weird. I like I asked all the questions I could of people behind the scenes after the game. I was told that he could have played. He very well could have. So it wasn't a case of a minutes restriction or anything like that. And so... It, it may well have just been a stylistic thing. I mean, we, we saw what, the fourth quarter in overtime, they had five shots inside the paint. Everything was outside. Everything was just jacking up threes. And I, that that just might be like a stylistic thing, thing from James Duncan. Um, it, it's, it's baffling because it's not just from a basketball perspective where you have Aaron Baines against a pretty small Tasmania team. But like we understand 
what Aaron Baines is and who he is as a as a leader, as a veteran, as someone with a ton of experience, like obviously you want him on the floor in those moments. So the fact that there wasn't an inclination to throw him out there is when there was there were no external factors. It wasn't wasn't an injury, it wasn't a minutes restriction. It it was very confusing. And I'm surprised no one asked about it because it seemed like it seemed pretty obvious. <laughs> Again, no no disrespect to anyone, but it no. just seemed it seemed so obvious after that it was it's just the one like floating question out there. No, it's my it's it's my selfishness because I wanted I wanted to hear it. <laughs> so that's why I was disappointed that the the question wasn't asked. Uh, the other team in Queensland, Cairns, is fascinating because I think that if you watch the Taipans and we got the chance again to to watch them against Southeast Melbourne Phoenix on Saturday. Uh, the seven seconds or less snakes, which by the way, it's a little embarrassing for me. It took me about 15 minutes. I was trying to come up with like the two, <laughs> the two seconds or less type bands or just, and then I was like, well, they're just the snakes. We were, we were sitting on like in our little media seat, um, watching that Southeast Melbourne Phoenix Cairns type bands game. And Kane was just yeah. going through his head. On Smoke was coming out of my ears. Honestly. Just like, what, what are they called? They're like two seconds or, or less tie pans. Like, <laughs> just trying to find this alliteration that'll work. Yes. And then he, and then it clicked. For, and then snakes clicked for him. Seven seconds or less is a, a thing in basketball, obviously. And so I'm really proud of you, my friend, for eventually getting there. Well, I'm glad I came up with it because I put it on Twitter and it got four likes. So hey. um, it was well worth my Congratulations time. Congratulations to you, my friend. But they are, and Adam Ford is embracing uh, this wild, chaotic, up-tempo offense. With that, they're shooting a lot of threes. Uh, they're also uh, giving up a lot of turnovers. They're also missing a lot of threes, um, especially, in that, especially in that last game against Perth. Um, and look, like you said, them going up and jacking up shots is all well and good. I just I don't think their guys... I don't think they have a, a wide enough group of guys who is that skilled enough to do that sustainably i don't think that works and then like you said defensively they've just they've had some struggles i think we were maybe it was maybe a little bit of a mirage because their first two games were against tasmania and against southeast melbourne um both of tasmania hasn't looked great to start this season southeast melbourne is very very injured um so when they played a real team like perth they got smoked and and it, it made all the sense in the world because Perth is super organized. They get through their stuff, and they were getting wide open layups like over and over again. There are there are legitimate defensive issues in, on that team, and if they're trying to pay, play the pace that they are, and if they're not making shots, then that's just a ton more possessions for the offense for the the opposing team to to get points on the board. They'll beat some teams because they will have nights where they do shoot the three really Absolutely. well, but it's not it's not really sustainable. And again, the the defense is never set. No. Like they're actually never really playing half court basketball, which means that they are leaking points. So, uh, yeah, Forty's been pretty open, and he said the other night that this is the way he wants to play. This is a learning process for these guys, and he's open to the idea that they might lose a lot of games. But yeah, it just seems like a a really difficult uh, scheme to sustain over the course of the NBL season because the quality's so good. I mean, last night Perth aren't going to make mistakes, and they were just picked apart. Yeah, and I think. That was also there. I think Kansas' defensive woes were overshadowed by the fact that Perth did shoot the lights out, right? They made a lot of shots, but if you go back and watch, there were a lot of good looks. It wasn't just the fact that Perth was was oh they're feeling it tonight. No, like they got a ton of good looks and they hit them because that's what a good team like Perth will do to you. And so if and so that's I think the difference between like a Cairns and any of those like upper tier teams is that if you give them an opportunity, 
they're gonna they're gonna kill you right and i think sydney would do the same thing to them i think even a brisbane would do that because i think brisbane is is at the very least slightly organized so against a cans taipans defense i think they go to work too um and what concerned me was the sort of shots that cans seems completely fine with taking which is the quick advance up the floor and just jacking up the the 28 to 30 footer and i get it shoot a lot of threes that's what basketball is now it's 2022 i get that but there's those those are not good shots i get a, a three is better than a two whatever whatever your thoughts about analytics whatever but those aren't good threes those are those are low quality shots so i and i don't think with with the talent that they don't have and that they have a really short rotation because of that i, I don't think they're they're skilled enough to be able to play that way like they're, they're not the warriors uh, 46.8% is their three-point rate, which, as we discussed earlier, is only behind Melbourne and Brisbane. So, yeah, they're getting them up. Uh, that feels a little bit more by design than it does Melbourne and Brisbane. I think Melbourne and Brisbane might settle out, but I think Cairns, based on what we've heard and what we've seen, will be uh, near the top of the league for that. We should talk about New Zealand. Uh, it was fun to see them get home. Uh, again, if I'm going to call myself out for anything on this podcast, which I'm just going to continue to do, actually. Look, if I say silly things... Let's bring it to the table. But I sent you a text at halftime and I said, geez, Tasmania are on track to give up 100 points again. The Breakers scored 46 points in the first half. Uh, then they scored six points in the third quarter and 25 for the entire second half. The second half was not an enjoyable watch, but ultimately the Breakers so far took Melbourne to overtime, which we're unsure about where Melbourne's at, but nonetheless, it was on the road uh, and they, they showed that they can score. The first half was impressive. I thought Jarrell Brantley had 16 points in the first half. He'd been a little bit quiet yeah. through the blitz in the start of the season. So I think they're going to be annoying throughout the season. I think this team's decent. Yeah, I'm I'm so intrigued by New Zealand because I think a lot of their success is going to come from how productive their imports are. Um, because otherwise, it looks like they're, they just have a ton of role players. I don't think... And so it's basically the imports and if and whatever William McDowell White brings that night, because William McDowell White can bring like a, a role player type of line at the end of the night, or he can go forward and bring like a twelve eight and eight sort of line. Um, and if he does the latter, then this team is in a, a chance to win every game. Um, but if he doesn't, then I, I, it comes down to trusting Darrell Brantley to do his thing, Barry Brown to do his thing. Um, Derek Pardon to do his thing too and I don't know if I trust that just yet um, I'm I'm concerned because defensively they still seem very leaky and I, I don't know and I don't know how they fix that uh, it's, it's Derek Pardon is sort of like the anchor down there but I, I just don't think they have the pieces to do that they're sneaky deep is what I'll say um, you know having someone like Isaiah Liafa come off the bench Tom Vadanovich, you know these guys are a proven productive role players in the NBL so they can go 9-10 deep it's just whether enough of those guys are at a high enough level which I'm not entirely sure they are well they gave up only 65 points in this game so it's Tasmania it's Tasmania is like a big it's, I would lead with that <laughs> so Tasmania Tasmania right now is, is on struggle street offensively yes. until Milton Doyle went off in that last game and Rashad Kelly which is what they're going to need but yeah Tasmania is in a, in a bit of a little... They have some issues offensively, to say that kindly. So I think there was there was some real optimism around 
Milton Doyle in particular. I liked him for what he can do offensively, and I think we've seen in this, uh, in in that a game where he scored thirty plus points that he can score in a variety of ways. But I am curious to see because I think last year it, it became well, if Josh Adams has one of those nights, then Tasmania are a chance to win with eighty five points. Yeah, uh, it just feels like it's still going to be a grind. And this was the interesting thing for me coming into the season and I asked Scott Roth I asked all the players last year you have all these guys that came in played expanded roles compared to what they've done elsewhere you're able to ride on the chip on the shoulder element and they did and they rode it all the way to the grand final there was some luck along the way but regardless they made the grand final and it was an incredible story but how do you tap into that for a second year and do they just have a, a bunch of guys that are it's they're already they're at their ceiling. I, I don't know. I mean, time will tell. But we've seen the defense drop off already, which was their staple last year. I mean, it's the thing that they they need. If if they don't hold their hat on defense, then I don't think that they're, they're barely a functional basketball team, right? But the the reality is, I think that their defense can be a top three defense if it's what we saw in the preseason. The, their first two preseason games before the blitz and then during the blitz you saw signs of a really effective team defense, which we just yeah. haven't seen this season yet. And the problem is if you're not doing that, then they don't. Then the guys they play don't have the skill set to let them get away with that offensively. Because you have someone like Matt Kenyon standing in a corner who I'm not sure I've seen a guy want to shoot a ball less than him. And they're just struggling to get through their sets. They're struggling to create advantages. And it's very difficult. You don't have someone like Clint Steindl to, to run off um, you know those those pin downs and those screens to get open and to create advantages that way. And so again, if you if you can't guard the ball the way is advertised, the way you're supposed to, the only way you're going to be effective and win games, then I don't see how you can be successful. Um, outside of what we saw last year with Josh Adams and, and what we have seen this last game with Milton Doyle, unless either Doyle or Rashad Kelly go off, which they both did in this game, and Kelly hit a big shot in overtime. Um, but they're going to have to rely on that. And I have a feeling that those imports are going to have a talking to from Scott Roth and that coaching staff on, you guys need to be more assertive. Like I get this is the, the, the team style that we play, but you guys need to step up. Like that, that, this is, That's your role here. You need to be selfish in some ways. And it's been a slow start for Majet. Mm. Uh, and he took some time to figure it out last season, but then I thought it was outstanding the longer the season went, just in terms of facilitating the offense setting the tempo because you know and you wrote about it again in, in your takeaways that you can check out at espn.com.au but it was about the idea of what's more sustainable throughout the season between the cans offense and the tasmania defense and you're right again historically defense is something that you can lean on that as as your staple but majet uh, even in this game against brisbane just the uh, 20, oh, well, he only played 21 minutes, but only took four shots, two points. And we've seen him do that before, but he's had high assist numbers, but he only had two assists as well. So Majet's going to have to be a key piece. And then I guess, to me at this point, I mean, Kelly played 27 minutes. Kenyon only played 16. Just just start, Kelly. And I know it's a rotation thing, but just start him because you need, this team needs offense. Yeah. And I don't think that what you're you're getting on both ends of the floor from Kenyon, who, who by the way, obviously had a pretty good season last year. Mm, but uh, but I just think that this team needs the offense, particularly straight away, even if it's only a few minutes. Yeah, I, I was watching that game, and the the extent to which they would just completely ignore Kenyon in the corner, 
Um, or if Kenyon had the ball on, on the right wing. I remember a possession where Jason Kendi sort of just, he just dropped off and he basically just walked down, like reversed himself down to the block because he knew he, he was guarding a non-threat. And so at that point, for a team that's already struggling offensively, you're playing four on five at, at that point and you're not going to score against a professional basketball team if you're playing four on five. We saw it during the Blitz as well. I remember their game against Adelaide 36ers. Kenyon was in the corner and you have basically the entire 36ers defense on one half of the floor guarding four Tasmania Jackjumpers players. I don't think it's sustainable going forward. Um, is it, It's basically the, the trade-off and, and what the, that coaching staff thinks. Is Matt Kenyon's defense good enough to allow some of his deficiencies on the other end? At this point, I don't know if they get enough points on the board to, to warrant that. But that's that's a decision for them. If they think that their defense is going to lock down even more, or at least to the point where it can be effective and they can win games, then I guess they'll stay with it. But it's that's a decision that has to be made. Well, they haven't done either to this point. It's true. Uh, offense or defense, there's been problems. A uh, couple to wrap this up. So you quickly referenced the Phoenix. Gee, if they had have held on against the Taipans, you think about all the players they've had out, some of the lineups that they've had to run, Going two and one would have been an unbelievable start to the season. Unfortunately, they're one and two. I think they'll still take that first win over Tasmania. Uh, but now this week, as you mentioned, it looks like they're going to get a number of guys back. If Ryan Brokoff decides that he wants to play basketball and doesn't want to move full time <laughs> into the broadcasting game, I thought he did a pretty good job. Uh, but all these pieces, the fact that they were even able to be competitive, Mitch Creek is not 100%. No. Not, and you know, really not actually that close. Alan Williams, before the game, I was watching him warm up and they thought he wasn't playing. And then they, when he went off the floor, it sounded like maybe he was not going to play. Then they got to the locker room and I think from what Simon Mitchell indicated to us post-game, they just said, listen, we actually just need you to just stand out there and he was great yeah so i'm still pretty optimistic about the phoenix when they get all these guys back i think the big question is alan williams joe chi and dane pino who who's provided obviously pretty good minutes as he kind of always does that's a lot of bigs that are probably more traditional yeah look, i understand the the talking point of yeah, we can play Alan Williams and Joe Chi at the same time. It's tough offensively. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't see that, and I don't think anyone else sees that. Um, but I've been pleasantly surprised with Alan, with Alan Williams. Um, him big coming sauce. off the so big sauce. Him coming off the bench as not not just a guy who'll get rebounds and will be like a bruiser in the paint, but also like as a guy as a target in the post who can also create a bit. Like he's been, he's done a decent job finding cutters, finding shooters out of that like low and high post. I I don't I don't hate that as a role for him, especially with with Carl Adnam. You can have sort of like a dynamic duo off the bench if you want to, um, but yeah, what they're such a hard team to judge, and then I think we've sort of refused to actually judge them as a team. Like there was a possession where Junior Madut was sort of held in the half court and got called for an eight second, and I think Simon Mitchell turned to his bench in frustration and sort of like looked down the bench and realized yeah. like oh no I can't put anyone like there's no one to put in. Um, I th- I think that's that'll change everything. Obviously, like we have yet to see a lineup of Gary Brown, Trey mm. Kell, um, Brockoff, Mitch Creek, and whichever big they want to start, whether it's Joe or Allen Williams, we have yet to see anything close to that. So the fact that we'll see at least the skeleton of that in round three, and then probably, hopefully, all of that in round four, then we can actually judge this team properly. And like you said, that 
these these were winnable games for them. They, they could have stolen a few wins to start this season. They weren't able to. They they should have they should have gotten up against Cairns. I think they they admit that too. I think they, there was like a lapse in like the last few minutes of that game. Because um, again, we've seen when we get to the end of a season, things get really fickle. It could come down to a game. It, it, how often does it come down to the last game of a season? And so these would have been nice for them. But I think things are looking up for them. I think there's, there's no point dwelling on it. Yeah, 26 turnovers is just an extraordinary number from the Phoenix against Cairns the other day. So, and I'm higher on Joe Chi than most as well. I, I think he can be really good. I just think it's going to be challenging to figure out where he fits in this rotation, particularly given Mitch Creek plays pretty much uh, at the four most of the time in this league that uh, tends to trend uh, small a little bit. Just a couple other quick notes that I wanted to tip my hat to Dave Barlow. Uh, six for six yeah. on the season so far. Five for five from three. And, their their, and their best prob- lineup has him in it. Yeah. He, yeah. He, honestly, they, he could probably start at the four if it, with the guys that they've got currently right now in terms of what would help the offense. We spoke about the shooting a little bit and just a really smart player and smart defender as well. So he's had a good start to the season. And then just just another one on, on the press conferences. I, I've So, I mean, we would love if... And this is probably more the league than anything. But we would love if post-game, if you're there and you're working... You should just be able to talk to any player. And by the way, I understand yeah. why the players wouldn't want to do that because why would they want to talk to me? Like, I get it. Like, I'm well, I'm self-aware to know that they've finished playing a game. They do not want to talk to me, but... I have to be paid to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 exactly, that's exactly right. That's a great point. So, I even if you opened up the locker room, we don't have to go in the locker room, but if you opened up to who do you want to talk to, most of the guys are going to get, get their stuff and leave anyway. It's only going to be one or two players, but we saw Melbourne get absolutely blown out but Chris Golding fronted at the press conference we saw Cairns get absolutely blown out and you get Josh Davey who played one minute and it's just it's kind of pointless like why is he at the press conference there's nothing you can really ask him about what happened the other day in Melbourne it was Jonah Antonio who did play nine minutes and and had a couple of decent moments in that game but ultimately you, you want the guys that have been heavily involved and the stars to front up so you can ask them questions and the, the fans can learn. Especially if we're only going to get one player. That's right. If yeah. there's no opportunity to ask questions of any other player, give us one who is at the very least prominent in that game because that's the player who can give us the best perspective of that game, good or bad. Um, and Josh Davey is a good player in his own right and yeah. his his story can be told in other ways, but he just wasn't involved in that game yeah it's not a knock on him but he just can't no. actually you can't ask him about what happened on the floor because he didn't play exactly um again and that, that's been like a trend i, I remember trevor gleason again I, and, and uh, teams do it differently so we don't know whose decision it, it was it could, could have been a player's decision whatever but trevor gleason used to do it where he would bring sort of the the 11th or 12th man into the the press conference room and then get annoyed when we wouldn't ask him ask that guy questions <laughs> and it's like what, what what am i gonna ask like this person did not play um and again after games every team does this thing where they um they go on the court they do their cool down and then they're just they're just sitting on the floor for a little bit why not just like open that up to us or just grab a player like hey like kane wants to chat to you on, on the side over here we're not going to need them for more than what three to five minutes if that like and it's it's the whole point is that i understand and it's it's not really a media manager thing, but when I understand being protective and being very gatekeepy over over the team and the players that you you overlook, but also 
but then don't complain when you don't get media coverage or when the ne- well, when the media coverage is is overwhelmingly either negative or it's scandal driven right or it's or it's very tabloidy right don't complain about that if you're not going to front up players i, I had i complained about this during the world cup in china when basketball australia wouldn't give us players consistently or we'd have to fight so hard to try and speak to players and then they'd complain that no one's covering the team we're doing our best we just want to speak to players so we can get their perspective um it's very frustrating and again if i was a player i wouldn't want to talk to me i just want to reiterate my point so i, I don't blame the players they're probably they're probably happy with the the current setup you're, lo- you're lovely king thank you let's wrap this up nbl round three starts this thursday night it's a 7.30 p.m. tip-off. The Adelaide 36ers are back in town hey. with very high expectations, Olgan. And it's fair to say that the expectation is that they beat Tasmania at home. I think so, too. They're, outside of the fact that they just have so much firepower compared to Tasmania, they're just so much bigger than them, too. Um, and so that should be, I would say, a pretty easy win for Adelaide. Um, I'd like to see them play... Jet lag? I mean, they landed. Okay, they landed a few days ago. Um, I'm still tired from the Sydney World Cup two weeks ago. There's an hour flight. <laughs> this is very true. Um, but look, they're, they're, Adelaide is, I think, just they are as much as we see them as that high risk, high reward team that just relies on tough shots falling. I think they're too talented for Tasmania, um, unless Tasmania somehow brings it defensively and, and then finds an offensive spark, whether it's Milton Doyle or Rashad Kelly or someone off the bench. We will see. We will, and Tasmania will try and get back to just being a straight-up pain on the defensive end. That's what they uh, were so good at last year. All right, let's wrap it up. As I said, Thursday night, 7.30 p.m., that's on ESPN. Should I, I'll plug the jump as well, Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. on ESPN. Um, for the real sickos out there that want to see my head, you can do that alongside some real legends. It's your first Gaze episode of the season? First episode of the season. Beautiful. So that'll be fun. And then uh, every Tuesday, as we said, this podcast rolling in. Now we've got this lovely studio set up so we're we're going to continue to to build this thing and if you're listening for the first time make sure you subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts and uh, until next tuesday Alks, enjoy thank you ken thanks everybody